you guys, are you ready for me? You're ready. Oh, yeah. You're the only ones that will ever be. You're rolling. Okay. Rolling is not how as I'd describe what we do. Before I get started today, I I have a couple of letters. Got lots of calls and letters and things this last couple of weeks. Pretty interesting. Let's see. This one don't have time to do with all of them. Some of you folks I talked to on the phone, which is cool. Uh, but I got a card. It's wonderful. It's just amazing. People are quite talented. It says, let, let it snow, which has some irony because uh, the return address is Fort Myers, Florida. <laughs> so obviously it might be he might be mocking us. He shows, uh, I guess, in a picture of geese. I don't know if anybody can see that but me. Or swans, actually. Swans of swimming, I think. How about that for appropriate? But there was one little line in this. Uh, he, he sent, uh, Dear Cliffside, sending you great and good sunny best wishes from Florida. And this remarkable year, your lessons have been especially cherished. And I thank you for that. And the best of good health and longevity to you, uh, most respectively yours. And his name appears to be... Um, I had to find it on the back of this because uh, his signature was not distinguishable for me. Uh, um, Bradford. Uh, oh, these are pelicans, apparently, at Everglades. Uh, that shows you how many pelicans we see in Alaska, which would be none. I, I'm surprised we didn't call them uh, something else. But um, but anyway, uh, so Brad uh, from Florida, I appreciate it. But he wrote this. He said that he, it's a Christmas season, 2020, a Merry Christmas. He says that uh, uh, he talks about his family. Uh, uh, his daughter has made a, a good going of her college engineering curriculum. Uh, so good for you, uh, daughter. And then he says uh, this. In, in ecclesiastical life this year, the Clint Eastwood meets Einstein description mine teaching of Stephen Cronister of Alaska for me stretched mind and soul and I just thought that was hilarious I've never been called a Clint Eastwood meets Einstein uh, before don't know that it's appropriate but it made me laugh and I really enjoyed it and thank you Brad for that and then the other one that I got that I only had time for a couple today uh, was from Luke Luke is uh, always a very, uh, how do I put it, hilarious. Uh, but um, he wants to know, <laughs> let's see if I can find it. I didn't highlight it. Um, I'll get to my reason for writing besides letting you know I'm still out here. My daughter and I were watching a PBS special dealing with quantum entanglement, which went into the history of Einstein and Planck and featured an experiment where photons from two separate quasars were being measured to try to bolster the data submitted from initial experiments that seemed to indicate entanglement. And it got me thinking about your lectures. <laughs> Uh, I remember the interferometry discussion at Heisenberg, but what uh, to, to shorten this really fast, he wanted to get into uh, uh, cryo anomalies. Well, cryo anomalies, uh, anomalies are an incredible thing, but in order to do cryo anomalies, and really say anomalies, uh, we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to do antimatter and matter. So prepare for that, and remember it's all its fault. Okay. That's what kind of folks we have out there. Just thought you'd like to know. Uh, January the 3rd. 
That's right, January the 3rd, 2021. How's that for remembering? Wow. Had to write it down. Lecture number discussion. Lecture discussion. Oh, i got to start this really fast. I made this mistake. I can't even read my own stuff. Cliffside office at Alaska. I did it again. I did it again. Cliffside office at gmail.com. Let me repeat that. Cliffside office at gmail.com. I keep commingling the other website. This will eventually, I get some, I'm still able to receive mail at the other one. I don't even want to mention it. But this is where we are headed. Cliffside office at gmail.com. Okay. So eventually the other will, will fade into uh, information. Cannot be destroyed, obviously. That would be antithetical. Antithetical. Okay, once again, uh, we have returned. The winter solstice, the time of darkness came, and now it's it's gone. That that uh, the lowest possible light has gone away, and it's given uh, given us now light that is increasing. All, what do we get? About two minutes every every day now, aren't we? Pretty close to that. That's uh, Alaska, not in Florida. And Cliffside is now fully operational again, or still fully operational. We took two weeks off. And that thwarts the naysayers who think that we're never coming back, or they're hoping we never will. Uh, fully operational, that's a relative term. Uh, subject to interpretation. Certainly in the realm of indefiniteness. Some might would prefer vague, I assume, to relative. But anyway, rumors of our demise once again revealed as exaggerations. I should mention this because I should mention that Terithathy has recovered from her surgery. Uh, haven't you? Yes, you have. Uh, look. Yes, there you are. Our sudden adjustment. We were supposed to take this week off and, and go on the 20th, but instead we adjusted because of Terithathy's surgery. Uh, our, so again, we, we did that because of her. It's completely her fault. So everyone, you can hear them all booing, can't you? They're booing. Yes, they are. And I've been told somewhat about all this, how it happened. I've been told she was pursuing Sup Dave with some kind of cast iron cooking <laughs> device. And he ducked, and her momentum was so great, and of course force equals mass uh, times acceleration, that she flung her face into some other weapon that somehow was involved, and there was 13 stitches. Is that correct? 13 stitches? 13 stitches. So I got 13 stitches right, so everything else has to be true. (laughs) And they removed this object from from you, didn't they? Yes, they did. Okay, that's all wonderful, and it's all gone. It is all good now. Okay, it's all good until the next time you try this. I have to wear a sun hat. You have to wear a sun hat? Okay, and and anyway, the police came and they, all these ball bearings and and, and, uh, marbles that somehow fell out of Dave's pocket onto the floor. Anyway, I'm pretty sure that's how it went. In any event, that's that's going to be the official story now. It's all over the internet. Everyone will believe me. They will. They will believe me. By everyone, I mean both of them. Okay, enough of that. As is often, if not always, the case, uh, questions pile up whenever we have a, a respite or a, a, a pause, a parentheses, whichever you prefer. And always during the winter, winter solstice, people have uh, the darkness, and now we have quarantining. So, But a lot of questions came in. And this year, 
I got them on the book of Job. I've got them on angels, of course, the fallen angels and, and unfallen. First Kings 13 came up this week. Amazing. But the leading topic has been, unsurprisingly, the COVID-19 situation that we have. And um, I evaluated, as you, I hope you know, I evaluate these kinds of worldwide events as, as they fit into biblical prophecies. And pandemics is a biblical prophecy. A worldwide disease is something that Christ says will come at the end of the age of the Gentile. And I also, I, I read as much intelligence as I can, knowing that it may not be really uh, accurate. There's all kinds of politics in the intelligence community. But there is this small element that is saying that this was not an accidental release. This was a purposed release. And I would not be surprised by that because the communist Chinese cannot be trusted at all. Communism cannot be trusted at all, ever. And they would, they would defend themselves if they thought it was going to impact China. They would try to weaken the entire world at the same time. That would be something they would think immediately. It is how communism always thinks. So anyway, we have a worldwide pandemic. And so I'm going to compare that to the biblical prophecy, specifically the nation of Israel, which you know is the wife of YHVH, the ineffable name of God, the unpronounceable. So it's how does it affect Israel? How does it affect the church, which is the bride of Christ? And now let me repeat that formula. Uh, the wife of YHVH and the bride of Christ. For those who are listening for maybe the first time, welcome to you or both of you maybe. Uh, God has established this template for his nation of Israel. She is typified, typified actually, as an adulterous divorced wife. So he's put her in this position where the nation of Israel is reflective of a divorced um, adulterous wife. Deuteronomy 5, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. That's Jeremiah 3, 1 through 5. I can't put it on the board because I'm going to leave this equation on for obvious reasons here in a minute. Jeremiah 3, 1 through 5. Ezekiel 16, 15 through 34. Hosea chapter 2. The bill of divorcement where he actually divorces Israel as a nation is Jeremiah 3, 6 through 10. God is in the position. She is in the position that Israel is of the divorced wife, adulterous wife. God is in position of the left or the forsaken husband. And the pattern for the church is that of an engaged or a betrothed bride who is waiting now, awaiting her bridegroom who's going to come for his bride. That she, He comes at midnight. He blows the shofar. He, there's an announcement. The bridegroom cometh. And he comes to abduct, to fetch, to carry his bride away to the marriage chamber. That is how God is representing the actual literal nation of Israel. And we have a literal actual nation of Israel and the actual literal ecclesiastical bride of Christ. So how does a worldwide disease affect the symbol of the divorced wife, which is Israel, who waits for her restoration because she is promised restoration by the forsaken husband. He will pursue her to restoration. And the symbol of the virgin bride that waits for abduction. How does it affect this, this pandemic? Well, obviously, the foremost effect is going to be economic and governmental. 
It's going to produce economic instability and it's going to produce governmental instability. Governments are asserting pressures in my lifetime. I've never seen anything like this. This is a unique thing. But governments all over the world are, are putting tremendous inflationary pressure and crushing economic freedom. We watch that every day. We have governments shutting down businesses. And sometimes the reasoning for that is inexplicable other than it is a control-based process. Now, I understand all the arguments. Nothing frustrates me more than somebody who brings to me an unsound argument with regard to microbiology. Uh, but I hear all the time from all sides. Certainly what's happening in the United States, United Kingdom, and Australia, and Canada, it's almost all the same. There's this tremendous amount of economic uh, pressure to shut down all kinds of freedoms. And, the, of course, Great Britain, the British Empire, being the largest empire known to mankind in the history of mankind post-flood, that is the lion of Scripture, Ezekiel 38. And the young lions are, of course, United States, Australia, Canada. You can make the case for India. Some will make the case for South Africa. Anywhere the British Empire had a firm hold might be considered the young lions. But certainly I would say Australia, Canada, United Kingdom, and the United States, or the United States and the United Kingdom being the lion. You really saw that in the Gulf Wars, where, where the lion and the young lions fought together uh, against uh, essentially the Aryan, or the Iranian, Aryan and Iranian. Uh, they fought against uh, the support of Iran with regard, and they fought against... Uh, uh, France and Germany, which is all part of the Charlemagne Empire. So we see those kinds of things still in place. The lions and the young lion, the lion and the young lion, they, they have been, especially the United States, as we all know, the principal guardians of the nation of Israel, militarily and economically. And if we destabilize the lion and the young lions, the wife of YHVH Israel, the nation, the divorced wife, uh, the adulterous wife, will be isolated and incredibly vulnerable. Think about the woman in John 8 that is surrounded and is to be stoned to death. You see that same theme all over the Bible. Israel isolated and uh, will be, in fact, destroyed by her enemies that gather around her. You see that in Psalm 22. All of these things uh, are predicting the isolation of the nation of Israel. That's biblical prophecy. Israel will be alone at some point and not being defended by anybody else. Put the glasses on top of my head since I can't put them anywhere else. The World Health Organization, which is undeniably under the authority of the Communist Chinese Party, if anybody thinks otherwise or tries to assert otherwise, they're just simply... Uh, disregarding the obvious. Huh? But they have indicated, let's just take them for a change and, and assume that maybe they got uh, anything right. I don't know that they ever have so far with regard to this pandemic because they intentionally covered for the Chinese Communist Party. That's obvious. It's true. It, it can't be refuted. Please don't send me letters. It's just silly. I'll know why you're doing it. But they indicated recently that this uh, COVID-19 virus might be a 10-year condition. That's what they have said. Now, you can imagine how that went over. 
consider the implications of it. I submit that the current world economy or structure could not survive if that turns out to be true. Cannot survive. Something else would have to be constructed to replace it. A worldwide centralized, likely digital system and the ending of physical, tangible currencies. That's what would occur, and you would immediately, instantly recognize that as a prophecy from the Apostle John. It's Revelation 18, 11 through 20. It's Revelation 13, 16 through 18. He wrote that 1920 years ago. If we have a pandemic that goes on for nine more years, imagine what's going to happen. How does that affect Israel? How does that affect the church. The latest concern, I wish I could put it on the board for you and diagram it all out. Maybe I'll do it next week. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the latest con- concern is this uh, N501Y variant that you, I hope you've seen in the news. And that originated in South Africa and it has moved to the United Kingdom. Recently, I have seen that uh, the, it, is, it has been found in California and Colorado. Uh, they also found the, the N501Y variant, and it seems inevitable that other states um, are going to be discovering it. And it's just how it will work. We cannot stop a virus. Um, it just You just can't. It's aerosolized. It's microscopic. You can't see it. You can only see the impact of it. So there's no way you get ahead of an aerosolized microparticle. And I'm enthralled by microbiology, specifically the theological implications of the immune response. As you know, I've tried to cover that. I didn't do a great job, but I'm fascinated by it. I study it as much as I have time for, and I watch the N501 variant with great interest. To be more accurate, this is the N501-501-V2 is what it is. And all of that's identification, and it's telling us essentially, and I'm, I'm not going to get into it very well, because I just don't have time today, but I want to cover it. The N-amino amino acid has changed to a Y-amino acid. That's why it's the N501Y501V2. 501 is the, is the particle component, and it is the variant 2 of this N-amino acid changing to a Y-amino acid. And In other words, within the viral genome, of this particular coronavirus, a change has occurred. That's to be expected. Changes occur in viruses. They always do. And this particular change happens to enable this spike protein. You've seen the picture, these little spikes all over this virus particle, right? That spike protein, it's a glycoprotein spike. We're all familiar with it. We've all seen the pictures. But that particular piece of the virus, because of this variant or this change, if you will, that's the most accurate way I can do it, uh, that increases its binding affinity. The 501, this particular, the glyso, I'm sorry, glycoprotein spike binds to the angiotensin converting enzyme number two receptors. At least in mice it does. That's what they have found out. As an aside, I could have said, by the way, What kind of pastor slash whatever I am, who, who in church does lectures on N501Y variants and angiotensin converting enzymes and how they bind together, how the virus attacks it? Who, uh, 
I don't know why it isn't as significant. The church used to do this in the 1900s, in the late 1800s. We were where you went to find the truth because we had the truth. Now the church is just, I don't know what it is. Of course, again, that's Laodicea, that's Revelation chapters 1 through 3. In, in other words, more other words, the N501 rearrangement, and I'm carefully avoiding to say mutation because it's not a mutation. It's a rearrangement. They always rearrange. Mutations are not the same as deletions or additions or uh, substitutions or rearrangements or any of those things. This is essentially uh, an argument over base changes and new strains. We have the base and it changes and we have absolutely new strains of viruses. We do not have a new chain, a new strain. We have, uh, we have this substitution, this N to Y, if you will. Okay. Um. Sorry to digress into all of that, but I think it's important and I hopefully will make that case in the coming weeks. As much as everyone would wish for a 12-hour lecture on the principles of virology, and I hand out textbooks and we all have textbooks, 10,000 pages to read and homework assignments, and by everyone I mean just me. not going to do it. This is where I'm going to stop for this. But for today, this COVID-19, as do all viral genomes, it has reconfigured. If it becomes, and if the refiguration provides a more favorable interaction, a stronger affinity to binding in the ACE2 receptors, then the virus will become more transmissible and it'll be a different day. Everyone is so excited to see 2021 go away. Oh, I'm sorry, 2020. Thank you. I should get a mistake for that. Everyone is so excited to see 2020 go away. I'm telling you, if this is an end times event, we should be excited. But it's not going away. We should be excited that it isn't going away because the ends are coming. And that's something we have all longed for. I have... My entire retirement system depends on the abduction of the bride. It has for my my economic uh, acumen is a is a hilarious joke. So far, this re- refig- this refiguration reconfiguration has be has been developing and has been identified and verified in mice in laboratory settings. Binding affinity does not necessarily increase disease severity, but it does increase transmissibility. So this will get easier to get, this disease. It's already ridiculous. It's airborne. It's aerosolized. It's transmitted by breathing over 30, 40 feet. That's why Dave and Terry are all the way back there and I'm all the way up here. What are we? 35 feet away. We have ventilation. We have humidity. Uh, and we're trying to pretend. They're wearing masks. Dave has a hood over his whole face. So it's really very good. It's been a lot more, as I said before, a lot easier on me. If only I could reciprocate. Uh, and you'll send me, please wear a hood over your face. We don't care about the audio sound. I know I'll get that. In South Africa, for example, the mathematical or the statistical evaluations of transmission has verified that this particular variant is more transmissible because the transmissions are increasing 
and they are out, outpacing the traditional models that have led us to this point so far statistically. So this amino acid substitution has increased transmissibility, at least statistically. If it is in fact uh, as severe or more severe, then it'll be a very tough day. It'll cause a panic again, just like we had before when toilet paper cost $500 a roll or whatever the joke was. Um, and, and we'll see it happen. So the church needs to know because we are the ones that can explain this. Again, relevance to severity has not been established. That said, governments are reacting as if there is going to be an accompaniment with regard to severity. Why would they do that? Governments thrive on panics and crises. They never let a crisis go to waste. That is the communist mantra. Take advantage of everything that is crises in order to get a tighter, more binding control. The governments are predisposed to devour, to accumulate control, to enslave. They devolve thusly. And now you see the theological implications, don't you? It's either free will, either you govern and allow the, the people that you're governing to have freedom, or you try to control them. Looky here, what is that? That's Genesis 3, 4, that's Job 1, 8 through 11, that's Matthew 4, that's Exodus 17, 1 through 7, Psalm 10. Pay attention to those who seek to control you. That's an evil characteristic at its apex. Satan asserts that evil is freedom. That's part of his lie. That's what he says. In order to demonstrate freedom, you have to be evil. God responds that evil is slavery and that God alone is freedom. So we have that conflict in Genesis 3, verse 4. That's where it begins in Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. But we have it manifested for us to understand it or written out for us in Genesis 3. Okay, that was one of the questions that came in. Next question, Mark 3 came up. And hopefully some of you might remember, and I'm just going through the questions today, kind of. It might make no sense at all, unless I miraculously, because I hold the holiest of all dry erase pens in concert with this platinum model, holy dry erase board. If I put it all together, oh my God. That's some HTRP in right there. But here comes the next question that may or may not relate. Let's see. Just Oh, glasses on top of head. Mark 3 came up. And hopefully some of you might remember the Mark 1. I recently, I just really quickly inserted into lecture number 122 uh, the leper of Mark 132 through 45. I don't know if you remember that, but that begat the question on Mark 3. Christ is preaching in synagogues. Uh, he's casting out demons. Unclean spirits, he calls them. The unclean spirits cry out, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One, the Holy Thing of God. Mark 1.23 is what, where that is said. 
And again, the Holy One of God is Psalm 16.10. So this demon says to Christ, I know that you are the Holy One of God. That's Luke one thirty five, the holy thing. The body of the Holy One, the holy thing of God, cannot go to corruption, Psalm 16.10. Luke one thirty five again. Why not? Why can't the body of Christ go into corruption like every other human body? His cannot. It's impossible. Why did the unclean spirit quote Psalm 16.10? As he was being cast out in Mark 132 through 35. I'm sorry, Mark 123. Did the unclean spirit, did he know that the body of Christ could not go to corruption? Because he quotes 16.10. That's what 16.10 is about. Did he know that? Did he know why? Why did the unclean spirit ask if the time of destruction had come? He says, did you come to destroy us? To Christ. That's Matthew 10.28. That is the lake of fire and all of those issues. Oh, I'm sorry. Matthew 10.28 is, uh, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear me, Christ says. Fear him who is able to send the body and soul to the lake of fire, which is Matthew twenty-five forty-one. So that's what the, this unclean spirit that's being cast out in Mark 1 says this to Jesus Christ. I know who you are. Have you come to destroy me? You are the Holy One who cannot go into con- corruption. The Holy Thing. Obviously, the unclean spirit knew what questions to ask, didn't he? What do we have to do with you? That's a rhetorical question. He's saying, we have nothing to do with you. Did you come to destroy us? Destroying them, again, Matthew twenty-five forty-one. Destroying them is that that one who has the power to send souls and bodies into the lake of fire. That was created for Satan and his fallen angels. Keep that all in mind. It's part of the trial of Genesis 3. And for those who want to read ahead and who have already read ahead, take note of Mark 134 where Christ does not permit the fallen angels to speak at that point. He's casting them out, but he stops them from speaking. Because it says they knew him. Well, what's the obvious question there? He shuts them up. He won't let them speak like he, he allowed this one to speak and ask these two questions and say these things. Why did you, what do you, what do we have to do with you? Did you come to destroy us? I know you're the holy one, the holy thing. 1610 Psalms. I know you will not, your body will not go to corruption. It's right there. You can read. I can read. You can read. We know. Can't happen. It's impossible. But he shuts up at Mark Mark one thirty four. He stops the fallen angels from speaking. So again, what did they know? What would they have said? Would they have said the same two questions? Would they have said the exact same thing? Uh, why does he hide? That's again Psalm ten. That's about freedom. That's Again, back to Satan. Freedom is evil. God says no. Christ says no. Freedom is God. 
That's what it's about. That's why he hides. That's Psalm 10 again. We've had that discussion previously. Israel at this time was saturated with the unclean, the fallen angels, the demons. They were saturated with demon possession. Why? Why do you suppose they they are in that condition? What's causing this? Is Israel receiving them? Why isn't any other nation receiving them? And Christ went about ridding his, he is the, he is in the position, right? God is in the position of the forsaken husband chasing after the adulterous wife that has left him. And he is in the midst of the wife, the YHVH, the wife of the, of the YHVH, and he finds it, finds the nation saturated with unclean spirits. And he starts ridding them. He goes about getting rid of them from his nation of Israel. All of them. Matthew 12, 43 through 45. He says, it says he leaves Israel empty, swept, and put in order. How many did he get rid of? And why is he doing it? And where did he put them? Jesus had not come to destroy them, did he? That's what the guy asked. The angel, the demon asked. Have you come to send me to the lake of fire? No. Answer no. He did not come to destroy. That's what sending fallen angels to the lake of fire means. That's the definition of destroy in that context. So where did they go? He removed them. He put some in pigs. Pigs all ran into the water. If that's an accident, of course it is not. What's his purpose in getting rid of the demon possession of the nation of Israel? The point. Wow, wow, a point. How amazing. The point of all of this so far is that Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 2 are preparing us for Mark chapter 3. Amazing. That's amazing. We, I know, it's just incredible insight. (laughs) People just, yeah, I listened for 30 minutes for that. Yeah, I, I can hear people. It's no wonder this guy drives a 2005 Suburban and has one pair of pants. I, I can hear you yelling at me. <laughs> okay, let's see if I can make my thesis statement there more meaningful to you. And, and I am the HTRP and all of that, right? Mark 1, a leper comes to Christ, kneels down to him, says to him, If you are willing, I could stop right there. This leper comes to Christ and says, if you are willing. In other words, you have a choice. You have a will. God has a will. So all of those out there that says God created beings that don't likewise have wills uh, need to recognize that God's will is part of existence and his character and goodness. So a leper comes to Christ, kneels down to him, says to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In other words, he's unclean. He has leprosy. Leprosy is a symbol for sin in Scripture. And Christ is moved, it says. He weeps. And I asked before, why does he weep over this guy? Because this guy comes to him and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
That's why he weeps. That made him weep. That's the, the heart and the mind of God. When you come to him and say, if you are willing, uh, you can make me clean. If you apply that to salvation and the forgiveness of sin, you see how why God's heart revealed here. Christ weeps with joy over those words. And it says the words immediately, uh, these words immediately come from Christ and heal him. I am willing. And that, that I am willing response. If you are willing, you can make me clean. I am willing. That instantly healed him. Instantly. So there's no more leprosy. How does the leper know to do this? He figured it out. How did he figure it out? Who is this leper? I want to know the backstory. This is a a biblical genius. He figured out who Christ was and what, what he should say to him. If you were willing, you can make me clean. He believed it. So there's a belief element here. I am willing. Those are powerful and profound words of truth coming out of God. Incredibly important to us. So this is so far Mark 1. Remember Mark 1, Mark 2, Mark 3. If you want to think of it, Mark 1 plus Mark 2 equals Mark 3. So try to keep all of these elements spinning on plates above you. Okay. Okay. Christ then strictly tells the lepers to say nothing. Don't say anything. Which, of course, the guy completely ignores. And Christ would know that he would completely ignore it. So why did he say it if he would know he would ignore it? Obviously, he says it for whose benefit, not the leper's benefit, because the leper is going to completely ignore it. So who did he say it to? That's right, he said it to us. He said it to the disciples. He said it to everybody that is listening, because once again, it's Psalm 10. Why does God hide? Why does God stand afar off? Why is God slow to anger? Why is God long-suffering? Psalm 110 is what he's doing here. That's why he says, tell no one. It's Genesis 1, 3 through 5. The darkness is not fully removed. We've covered this already, but I'm reemphasizing it. The darkness was not removed. It was separated. It was divided from the light. And the, and the, uh, the 7,000 year clock, or, um, countdown clock begins at day four. Sun and the moon. Second Peter 3, 9. God is long suffering and wishes none should perish. Wills that none should perish. Wills. God gives time here. So we're in the time period. That's why he's hiding, because we're in this time period where he did not remove all of the darkness. He could have. No, he couldn't have. That's a trick statement. He did it the only way it's possible to do it. The solution to sin requires time and requires that he hide and requires that he stand afar off. The solution to sin is incorporated in all of these things. Okay. One thing for sure that we will have to do is we'll have to go around and accumulate every time Christ says, say nothing, tell no one, don't speak. Put them all together. He wouldn't let the angels, the fallen angels speak. He tells this guy not to speak. He constantly says, not constantly, but he often says, tell no one. Knowing full well that they will tell everyone they can. It's like dealing with children, right? Oh, actually sheep. Dingleberries and mucus. Okay, now on to Mark 2. And I'm doing this very 
cursory. I don't have a choice today. I own, certainly not. Mark 2, I have the paralyzed man. We all know the story about the paralyzed man. He's carried, he's brought. And again, the paralyzed man and the leper put them together. Think of, think of it this way. I have a leprous, paralyzed man now. Just start combining them. A paralyzed man is carried, brought by four, not two, not three, not on the back of one by four. That's probably in, you know, it's incidental, it's coincidental, it's meaningless. And Christ says to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, attach that to, if you are willing, you can forgive me. You can make me clean. Son, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees think now. They don't speak aloud. Okay, so we got somebody that doesn't speak aloud. They don't say anything aloud. They're thinking it. They do not speak what, what, they, what I'm about to repeat here. They don't say it aloud. They only merely think it. And they, they think this in their minds. So it's not manifested orally. All of them think, who can forgive sins but God alone? That's what they think. Essentially, why is it only God that can forgive sins? We have to ask that. And Revelation 2.23 now comes to the fore, doesn't it? Christ says, I am he who searches minds and hearts. And he just does it right here. He heard them think. That's quite the advantage for a judge, isn't it? He also asks, which requires more power from me? Forgiving sins or healing paralyzation? It's a rhetorical question because the answer is obvious. Forgiving sins takes more power than healing a body of a paralytic condition. Why does forgiving sins then require more power? Mark 2 also contains the symbol of the bridegroom and therefore the abduction of the bride and the Lord of the Sabbath and the millennium and the messianic kingdom. All of that is in Mark 2. Okay? Can't cover it. Next. Somebody did not screw down the floor here. It is definitely Lori that, that failed this. I got a wonderful call from Wendy in Texas. Hi, Wendy. She feels sorry for Lori. <laughs> Notice the laughter. Lori is formidable. <laughs> you should feel sorry for me, but I can't say that. <laughs> anyway, Mark 3. Now we can discuss Mark 3. Always, you got add Mark 1 and Mark 2 together. Christ, again, is in a synagogue. Quick question, who's in the synagogues? Why does he keep going to synagogues? He seems to find a lot of demons in there inside of people. Who, what kind of person are the demons in? Why are these people in these synagogues? And, and so we've got to read Mark 3, 1 through 6. So let's do that. I, I recognize that there's a lot to that I'm skipping. It's okay. You are capable of figuring all of this out without me. And some of you are doing a marvelous job. It's a delight to talk to you on the phone. Again, Wendy from Texas sounds just like me. I've completely polluted her. I'm so proud of her. I'm only kidding, Wendy. But it's amazing what, what you folks will, will send back to me. 
it has become yours and not just uh, somebody else's. And he entered the synagogue again. Again he enters the synagogue. Why is he doing this? And a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely. Whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. Because he just said he's the Lord of the Sabbath, right? In the, the last verse of uh, 228. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Oh, they like to accuse God. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they kept silent. There's that silent again, just like the demons became silent. And he, and he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. That's Exodus, isn't it? He said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the others. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they, may, how they might destroy him. Okay? Who's the they and the them? Obviously, the they them is the Pharisees, isn't it? So the they and the them, the they them are the Pharisees. And they're watching and they're silent. Why are they silent? They're not going to say anything. Why not? Why didn't they immediately say, let's see if he heals this guy on the Sabbath? They don't. They're really quiet. Why? Obviously, there's a group watching all of this. How many people know this is a, a setup? There's a bunch of immediate questions here. So ask the immediate obvious questions. Who is the man with the withered hand? He's not arbitrary, is he? He didn't just, well, I'm at the synagogue today. i got a withered hand. Oh, look, a bunch of Pharisees are over here. They're all shutting up. Oh, here comes God. Did he ask anything of God? No. Not like the guy, if you were willing, you can make me clean. And again, Christ is grieved by this, as opposed to weeping for joy. So there's your obvious difference. Where did they find the they, them, the Pharisees, where did the they, them find the withered hand man? They had to go find him, didn't they? Think of the anatomy. They're going to plot. They're going to figure out something. They're going to set it into motion. They're not stupid. Oh, yes, they are. They do plan well. No, they don't. I propose, and I'm proposing that the, that the they, them knew the withered hand man. Because the withered hand man is a they-them. He's a Pharisee. That's my proposal. I think it's obvious. I submit this is especially obvious because of 1 Kings 13 and Zechariah 11.17 and Matthew 21.19. Let me repeat that because I can't put it on the board. I can't put it on the board because I made a mistake. That's why this question came up. This is now the mistake box for today, and not just the by the way. <laughs> Again, I think it's obvious because of 1 Kings 13, Zechariah 11:17, Matthew 21:19. Christ says to the withered, cursed fig tree, "Let no one eat from you ever again." 
Mark 11:14. This is an obvious referral to Genesis 3, 6, and 7, isn't it? Let no one eat from you again. He withers the, fir, 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 the, the, the fig tree. This man's hand is withered. He's the withered hand man. Start putting them together. It's obviously Genesis 3, 6 through 7, where the first times this eating of the cursed fig tree and the covering uh, uh, with fig leaves occurred. This is a referral to that. It's also a command that no one will ever eat from it again. It's a command and it's a promise. So all we have to do is find out when that's going to happen. Obviously, Genesis and Revelation are two parts of the whole, aren't they? They are the bookends. And that re-raises the fundamental question on the placing of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or good from evil. Uh, Again, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? What's he referring to? He's referring to the two trees, isn't he? So it re-raises that question on why was the fig tree of knowledge of good from evil in the midst of the garden to begin with? The, the why of, of the do not eat uh, order or commandment. Why not? The answer, of course, is Genesis 1, 3, 5. The darkness is not removed. It's the same reason. It's divided from the life. Because we have the satanic fall and the demonic fall, and I hope you see how it all fits in here because he's got demons everywhere. Because we have the, the demonic fall, Satan's fall, uh, the darkness is not removed. It's divided from the light of life, which is John 8.12. So it would be accurate, again in my opinion, to then say, or to restate Genesis 1.3.5, the darkness of death and the light of life are separated. And that is also the separating of good from evil. So darkness of death and the light of life. The lie of Satan, as you know, is at Genesis 3, 4. It's at Job 1, 9 through 10, uh, 9 through 12. And it's at Job 2, 1 through 10. We've been covering that. And this all started, this Mark 2, 1, 2, and 3. It all started, the question came from a person whose name shall not be revealed. Daniel. <laughs> called me up wanting to know why I made a mistake. And we didn't get to it immediately, but this is he's very subtle and quite, how do I put it, sarcastic. <laughs> but he wanted to know why I had admitted Mark 3, Zechariah 11:17, Matthew 21:19, and 1 Kings 13 from my Jude 9 equation. And he, it, it clearly needs to be here. And he was absolutely right. So somehow I've got to put him up there. I've got to get First Kings 13 in here. I've got to get, uh, let me make sure I get them all. Zechariah 11, 17. And then if you got that, if you got that one, you've got to have uh, Mark 3. And then lastly, um, Matthew 21, 19. All of those have to be in here. Now, I could probably have put it right here, right before Second Kings put all four of those. Uh, I wish I had. Daniel, 
was right. I was wrong. Uh, and so I placed my rank, my title, the HTRP. I put it in jeopardy, obviously. I'm risking demotion to TRP, which would be a real shame because they all attach to Genesis 3, 4 through 5. I could have put it next to Genesis 3, 4 through 5. Where is Genesis 3, 4 through 5? should be on there, right here. I could have put it here as well and should have done it. And that's really, uh, really too bad for me because uh, I'm kind of known for First Kings 13. All right, so let me repair that failure before we continue. Now that my HTRP status has been somewhat repaired by putting it in there. Mark 3, this withered hand man. First Kings 13, guess what it has? It has a withered hand man. Withered hand man goes with withered hand man. The withered hand man, uh, and also Zechariah 11, uh, 17 has a withered hand man. All of them do. Yeah, I gotta go get all the withered hand mans and put them all the withered hands to the withered hands. So that's what I have to do. That makes sense. In Zechariah 11:17, the withered hand man is undeniably the Satan man. Undeniably, that's the Antichrist. It's the idol. I-D-O-L. The, the worshipped shepherd. But the, the shepherd is an idol, a pagan idol. It's pagan worship at its highest level. So the withered hand man in Zechariah 11.17, the, the idol shepherd is the Antichrist. At 1 Kings 13, the king is Jeroboam. He's the one with the withered hand. He did not turn from his evil way. 1 Kings 13.33. 13, did not turn from his evil way. So there's an evil way of Jeroboam. Obvious question. What was Jeroboam's evil way? We need to know. Well, we don't need to know. We should know. We, I hope you want to know. Anyway, Jeroboam attempts to execute the unnamed prophet who comes before him. And Jeroboam stretches out his hand. Oh, wait. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. Jeroboam, so I got two withered hand mans who were stretching out their hand. One of the command of God. We'll get to that in a minute. King Jeroboam stretches out his hand and his hand withers. He attempts to execute the unnamed prophet, tries to, and it withers. Thus the withered hand and the evil way are paired together along with the split altar that is prophesied by the unnamed prophet. Many, many years ago, I did First Kings 13. Uh, I, over 20 years ago. Uh, I almost began cliffside with 1 Kings 13, the unnamed prophet, the evil way of Jeroboam, the split altar, the prophecy of Josiah, who is specifically named. It's 300 years before he becomes king, and his name is given, and his name actually happens 300 years later, and he does exactly what the unnamed prophet says he will do with regard to the altar. It's the prophecy of Josiah, who was amazing. Behold a child Josiah, obviously. Behold a child Josiah. Figure out who Josiah typifies. Josiah honors the tomb and the bones of the man of God, the unnamed prophet, 2 Kings 23, 17 through 18. And Proverbs 30, verse 4 belongs to 1 Kings 13 because of the unnaming element, because Proverbs 30, verse 4 says, what is the name, essentially, what is the name of the second person of the triune Godhead who can know his name? 
because he's unnamed at Proverbs 30 verse 4. And the unnamed prophet is unnamed. And so I'm going to put those together. Obviously, it's called the mystery of Agar. Anyway, <coughs> excuse me, for today. Note this evil, or note the withered hand stretched out is a symbol of evil. So when I go back over here to Mark 3, stretch out your evil hand, he could have said. It's a hand of evil. He didn't stretch out your hand because he knew that we would all go to 1 Kings 13 where I have withered hands. And so the symbol of evil is, is obviously a piece of the entirety of the withered contingent, if you want to think of it that way. And the primary piece in the withering is not the hands, is it? It's the withered fig tree. The, the hands are withered because they are representative of the withered fig tree. The only thing that Christ curses in all of Scripture. So back now to Mark 3 a little bit more. A couple of things fly out of Mark 3, 1 through 6 that just whoop yourself upside the head. Jesus Christ, the I am that I am, the Lord God Almighty in the flesh, orders the withered hand man to step forward. I want to know where he was. Was he at the front? Did they push him up there and go right to stand right here? He said, no, step forward. Uh, the, the Lord God Almighty in the flesh orders the withered hand man to step forward. He's the I am that I am. Obviously, the WHM had to obey that, didn't he? This is the, the word that creates. This is the light of life that creates life. This is the judge of all things, John 5:22, Revelation 1, 13 through 18, Daniel 7, 9 through 10. You're, you're going to obey the Creator, omnipotent Creator. Duh. You have no ability to resist omnipotence. It's infinite. Christ, though, after He says that, now He speaks to the they-them. Uh, and He says, the, and He speaks to the Pharisees. They're the Pharisees who planned this charade trap. And here he asks them a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. That's a good from evil question. Again, to repeat it, it's Genesis 3.22. Why does he bring up Genesis 3.22? Obviously, the Lord of the Sabbath has something to do with good from evil, isn't it? And I think it's obvious that they refuse to answer. And God is grieved at their hardness. They will resolutely reject goodness. He brings good. Will you choose good from evil or will you choose evil from good? And they reject goodness. They reject salvation. They knowingly, willfully choose instead evil and wickedness and death. And God weeps for them. God weeps for the lost. And once more, God restores the withered hand of evil. First Kings 13.6, the unnamed prophet Praise for that that hand and it is restored. Jeroboam, ask for it. Please fix my hand. And it's done. Why does God fix withered hands of evil men? And in First Kings thirteen six, it's the same as Mark three through five or three five. It's and the reaction of this mercy of stretch out your hand and healing his hand. The reaction of the Pharisees to that mercy and probably the man who even had the hand re restored. What did they do? Then the Pharisees went out and immediately tried to kill God. That's their plan. The reaction to mercy is to quickly assemble a committee and plot to kill God, destroy God. That's stupid on parade. Uh, you cannot be any more stupid than that. 
Jesus Christ is life itself. Without him, there's only death. And that is their plan. It's called the only death plan. It's, it's atheism, it's monism, it's evolution, it's communism, it's fatalism, it's nihilism. Yeah, I have had a lot of people tell me uh, recently, uh, it does, it, there's nothing I can do. I can't take any steps to protect myself in any way. My days, are I'm going to die. Then I have no impact at all. Well, that's nihilism. I have lots of impact. I could be drinking wonderful diet coke filled with caffeine and sodium and go into heart arrhythmia. I could do that. I choose not to. I drink this junk. <laughs> Life-giving water. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially just hydrogen and oxygen, right? How does it work, this hydrogen oxygen make that? How does, we're going to figure that out someday. It obviously is a symbol. But the only death plan, and again, it's evolutionary philosophy. There's only death. You have no control. You have no responsibility. You have no accountability. You have no input at all. Everything is hopeless and purposeless. Purposelessness. All there is is only death. The only death plan. And that's what they do in Mark 3, 6. <sighs> okay. What's the solution to why he, why, oh, got to hurry now, don't I? What is the solution to the withered hand being restored? The solution is in the lion and the donkey that stood by the body of the named, unnamed prophet in 1 Kings 13:24. The It is important that the man of God is unnamed here. That's important. It's important that his body is not torn to pieces by the lion and instead put in the middle of the road and guarded by the lion, if you will, by the lion. And the donkey stays right there next to a lion. How did the donkey know this was a good idea? Because it is. It's important that the unnamed prophet, who is completely aware that he's going to die by what he does after he leaves Jeroboam, he chooses to do it. Knowing he's going to die, and he does it for the sake of the old prophet who lies to him. Why does he do it? He knows something. He knows Josiah is coming in 300 years. How does he know that? What's he banking on here? He's going to save one more guy. And he's going to physically give up his life to do it. And he's going to be a symbol in the middle of the road with a lion and a donkey there. And the old prophet that lied to him, because the old prophet hadn't, hadn't, he was not a prophet. He was a liar. Which means he could make a lot of money in today's contemporary church. <laughs> I wish I had time for 1 Kings 13 today, but we never have time, as you know. But we're not finished with Job. Of course, we can never be finished with Job, as you also know. Let's try to really quickly endeavor to persevere in not finishing Job. Job's wife disappears. Got a question. What's going on with Job's wife? So that's what we're, what we're doing today, answering questions. Am I answering questions? Uh, no. Apparently I'm not. No, the answer is no. I am. I am answering them with um, more questions. It's <laughs> so funny. I'm hilarious. At least I think I am. I, I can't allow anybody to influence my thinking, though. All right. 
Job's wife disappears. Question was, what happened to Job's wife? Why did she disappear? What, what's going on with Job's wife? What about Job's wife? That's the question. Uh, and she said, do you still hold fast to Job in your belief in God's goodness? Your integrity, it says. But his belief is in God's goodness. Curse God and die. That's her recorded words to him. And, and I, of course, I modified it. I believe appropriately that do you still hold fast to your belief that God is good? He's, he's, you're being tortured here. And you're going to die really fast. You're covered with boils. You're not going to live. And, and of course, Job's response was, God's good. Good and evil, right? Some commentators got to say this, believe that she said, bless God and die. That's what she said. And in other words, she's formed that in a question. Bless God and die? That's your idea? What, what are you thinking? Because the Hebrew word contains both the meaning of blessings and curses, to be fair to them, that think that way. But Satan's statement in Job 1.11 is the basis of, for Job's wife. And he did not say that. Satan said um, exactly what she said. He will curse you to your face. And so I believe there's no blessing element there at all. Why would he... Why would he bless God to his face in Satan's line of thinking? It wouldn't have happened. So I put in, I contextually connect them. She is placing before Job the accusation of Satan himself, tempting Job, as some would say. Job refuses her and he rebukes her. And then she disappears, except for Job 19.17, where Job says she was repulsed by his breath. I've had that experience. <laughs> it happens when you get older. But in his case, he had all of these uh, conditions. Women in Scripture, you need to recognize, are often or almost always symbols for nations or ecclesiastical entities. In other words, churches are religious entities. Um, pagan, mostly religiously. Jezebel, the, the harlot. Uh, but also you will see women represent the church. They represent the nation of Israel, case of the of Mary. And sometimes um, you'll find them commingled. Anyway, Job's wife utters the lie of Satan and is repulsed by the breath of Job. Think about that. That's not a good record. What happened to her? Where did she go? Why did she do this? And for today, notice the words of Satan in Job 1.11. Satan's accusation to the face of God. Let me read it. I should read it perfectly. I'll read it exactly. Because I find it amazing. So Satan answered the Lord and said, The Lord said to Satan, Consider my servant John. There's none like him on the earth, a blameless, upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, one who loves good and hates evil, good from evil. And so we're back to Genesis 3. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household? Uh, you'll see that hedge show up in Matthew 21:33. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed him in the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, Satan says to God, what's he say? Stretch out your hand. Mark 3. Zechariah 11:17, 1 Kings 13. Matthew 21, 19. The curse of the fig tree. But now stretch out your hands and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Job's wife said that exact thing back to Job. Stretch out your hand, touch all that you have. He will surely curse you to your face. First Kings 13.4, Matthew 3.5. 
Christ commanded the withered hand man to come forward and to stretch out his hand. And the, and the withered hand man did both. He came forward and he stretched out his hand because of omnipotence, duh. But did he also willfully say, you know what, I'm going to get my hand fixed. Because Christ saves Pharisees all the time. Let's hope that it happened here. Don't know. Could have gone bad with the rest of them. It's hard to to not. But boy, when you get a withered hand, I don't know how long he had the withered hand. I don't know what caused the withered hand. Could have been an infection. Could the hand have uh, had any number of injuries. It could have been probably impossible to function with it. And it is immediately healed. Think of the impact. I have a hand. You know, Christ put new eyes in people. He, he put he grew limbs on people, the lame, the crippled and the lame. He did amazing things that that can only be done by the one who made the body in in, in Genesis two seven. But anyway, Satan demanded that Christ stretch out his hand and attack Job, and God did not do that. Christ did not do that. Satan was permitted, and Satan struck Job. Finally, for today, yay, finally, angels do not multiply. Therefore, angels are not resurrected. Angels do not multiply and angels are not resurrected. They are imprisoned. They are not resurrected to be imprisoned. There's no need to resurrect them. And that is reserved for humanity. Why did God do it this way? What's he saying to the angels? Because a lot of this is for the angels. That's why he didn't remove the darkness. And he made a being that was physical and spiritual. He made this combination and it had a body and it could reproduce. And if it died, it could be resurrected. And that is the lesson of Job, is it not? I said that a couple of weeks ago. The lesson of Job is resurrection. You have to have resurrection. I know some people think it's restoration. He gets a new family and a bunch of news. No, the lesson of Job is resurrection. That is the whole point of Job, resurrection. Resurrection is something that is paired to judgment as well. I have resurrection to life. I have resurrection to judgment. And Satan, does he know what Psalm 16.10 is about? Of course he does. The one angel knew, demon. Why are you Psalm 16.10-ing me? Satan knows 16.10 Psalm. Is that why he fought over the body of Moses? Next week. Luke 9, Psalm 16.10. Can I put those together? I think I can.